time of year, but until December 21st, the days are going to get shorter. And in the uh, darkness, people will begin to put up lights, right? When the world gets darker, the light shines brighter and becomes more beautiful. And uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit this morning, about how uh, the world may seem like it's getting darker, but I believe the light of the gospel is going to shine brighter than ever before in the days in which we live. may not be as accepted, may not be as popular, but I thank God that uh, he's not finished with his church. And when he is, he's going to call it home, right? He's going to call us home when, he, when our work on earth is done. And so um, I'm grateful that he's still working in the life of his church. We're here today, this Lord's Day, to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Don't ever forget that. Every Lord's Day is a resurrection day. The reason the church began worshiping on the first day of the week rather than the seventh day of the week is because something happened that radically changed the thinking of those early believers, and that was that Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. And I like to be a part of a celebration. You don't want to miss these upcoming Sundays as we get into the holiday season. Uh, Every Sunday is a resurrection day. Every Sunday is a day to celebrate what Christ came and did and is doing in the life of his church. And so, uh, again, you don't want to miss it. You want to be a part of it. This morning, uh, we're in our second to last sermon. We'll wrap it up next week on getting honest, right? To be honest. And today we're talking about getting honest about future expectations. What in the world is going to happen to the world, right? Uh, Most people don't give a lot of thought to that until the environment, the political environment or the cultural environment, social environment begins to make you think, where in the world is all this headed? And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and we have a significant amount of apocalyptic material, if you will, as Jesus is teaching on last days and last things. And so we're only going to be able to uh, dissect a part of this chapter this morning. We're going to look at verses 5 through 14. So thank you as you're standing as we read the Word of God this morning. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, actually the end of verse 4, he says, watch that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will, be, they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you. I'm sure that was encouraging to these early apostles, right? They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered or be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Father, sometimes we look at all that's going on in the world, and we don't want to be honest about how your word has already addressed these issues. Lord, I pray that 
we would hear the honest truth from you that words that our Lord spoke 2,000 years ago resonate with us today. And not just to give us a grave warning, but also to give us a great hope that you still have a great work to do in the life of your church. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. How many of you are like me and you just, you don't really like to go to the doctor for anything, right? There's, a, there's probably more of you than I expected this morning. Some of you are like, man, I'm married to somebody who's stubborn. They just won't go to the doctor. I'm afraid that if I go to the doctor, he might just be honest with me. I'm afraid it might be like the uh, man who went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, the man said, man, I've got all of these aches and all of these pains. And the doctor said, well, honestly, honestly, you, you're just getting old and you put on a lot of weight. And that's just the result of it. And the man said, uh, Doc, I think I want to get a second opinion. And the doc said, okay, well, you're mean and ugly too. How about that? <laughs> Some of you don't want the doctor just to get honest with you, and that's probably what I would like to avoid. But if something were seriously troubling me, I also would not want the doctor to water it down. I would want the doctor to be real with me. I would, I would want the doctor to say, you know what? Man, you're going through something that uh, can be addressed. And so I'm going to tell you honestly how to address it. And in the same way this morning, I hope you will hear from your pastor's heart that, uh, listen, some of us grumble and complain about the world we live in. I'm just going to tell you straightforward what the Scriptures tell you you can expect as believers. I, I'm not going to tell somebody when they come to faith in Christ, listen, if you give your heart and your life to Jesus today, man, it's going to be smooth sailing. Now, there will be, listen, there will be the one in the boat that can speak to the wind and the storm, peace be still. Sometimes he lets the storms of this world rage around us and he calms us in the midst of the storm. This passage we read, like many prophetic scriptures that often contain what we refer to as dual or multiple fulfillments. What do we mean by dual or multiple fulfillments? Sometimes we refer to this in, in biblical studies as typological parallels. <laughs> By typological parallels, it may be a prophecy about the very last things that are going to happen on this planet before Jesus comes and makes all things right, before he takes us out of here, before he establishes a millennial kingdom, before there's a new heaven and a new earth. Man, so a lot of these prophetic passages are talking about uh, what we refer to as apocalyptic days, the end of times. But there were always events going on in the life of Israel in the Old Testament that paralleled what the prophets in the Old Testament were saying. There were things that would go on in the life of the apostles that they would be able to immediately apply those things that Jesus was teaching about. And then those things would be a type of or parallel, a, a more intense version of those things happening in the very last days before the consummation of the ages. And for example, when Daniel speaks of Antichrist, a lot of people saw during the silent years where the scriptures, the, the book had been closed on the Old Testament, much of what Daniel had spoken about lived out in the life of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. 
But then later you see types of antichrist in Herod who wanted to kill Jesus from the moment of birth. You see types of antichrist in the first century, especially the book of Revelation seems to draw from this typology, but you see in the Roman emperors, Nero and Domitian, who were persecuting the church, if you had said to those first century believers or even persecuted Christians around the world today, hey, aren't you glad you're not going to have to live through the tribulation period if you took it as a uh, pre-tribulational approach to uh, the rapture, then they would say, what are you talking about? How could there be any more tribulation than what we're already going through? Maybe it was uh, General Titus who would come in and bring great execution in the life of these early believers. These apostles would have application of what Jesus was teaching about, even there in the first century, that would only serve as a parallel to what would be greatly intensified in the last days or in the consummation of the ages. The destruction of the temple, the abomination unto desolation that Daniel and then the book of Revelation also deals with is something that they would experience in the first century in 70 AD, but also would be a type of parallel that would happen in the middle of Daniel's 70th week of history prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 that we haven't experienced yet. The 70th week of Israel's history, there was a, a gap known as the church age between week 69 and week 70. You'll have to go back. I'm not going to spend time breaking all that down, but to say that God's not finished with Israel, and in the very last days, they'll have a prominent place in God's plan, and in the middle of that, uh, that week of seven years, that period of seven years, three and a half years in, there's going to be another abomination under desolation in the temple, which tells me the temple will be rebuilt and restored during these last days, and plans are already in place to make that happen. And so all of these multiple fulfillments, these typological parallels, make it clear to us as Christians that if you were living in the first century, this word is important and applicable. If you're living in the days that Jesus comes again, and I tend to think we will be living in those days, if you're living when Christ returns, those things will be being fulfilled. But if you're living at any time period in between, this scripture still matters. It was applicable and meaningful to those who were hearing Jesus. It was applicable and meaningful to those to whom Matthew was writing there in the first century. He knew the church needed to hear this. And it will be applicable to you and I today, and if we're here at the return of Christ, it will be definitely applicable in those days. So don't look at end times prophecy as something, well, I don't even think I'll be here when all this takes place. We need to know these truths, and like you would want a physician to be honest with you this morning, I pray that you will receive from God's word, what this pastor has to share with you about things we need to be prepared for in the last days. We want to be honest about the challenges of tomorrow because it will help us to prepare spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. And all of those important. We are going to be involved in spiritual battle that we were singing about a moment ago, but we're going to be involved in spiritual battle like never before. We're going to have things that we need to prepare for mentally. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it and how to stand on it. Emotionally, 
in a day and age where more people, especially since COVID, more people struggle with anxiety and fear than ever before, much of it is because we don't emotionally prepare for what Scripture says is going to take place. So we need to begin to prepare ourselves before the anxiety comes emotionally for what God has in store. And part of that's by knowing that it's coming, not being caught off guard. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples. Now, there's a mysterious element to all apocalyptic literature in the Scripture, especially if you study the book of Revelation. There's an element in which we don't know all the answers. We don't have all the interpretations. And even Jesus himself says concerning his coming that no man knows the day or the hour. That mysterious element seems to be intentional so that we all live like we want to be found when Christ returns. And that we don't try to overread as many Self-proclaimed prophets have embarrassed themselves decade after decade after decade looking at what's happening in America or look at what ha- what's happening in the Middle East or in Russia or in China, and they're saying, oh, this is this prophecy being fulfilled. That's this prophecy being fulfilled. And then decades later, you're saying, well, what happened to that prophecy? It may have been a parallel. It may have been a type. But we have to be careful to major on the majors and minor on the minors. And Jesus is going to deal with some majors here. What did they see in the apostolic age that will be paralleled in the final days that you can bet that almost every generation of believers will experience with growing intensity? He uses these words, birth pains, right? And uh, any woman who has been through labor knows that they intensify both in time and in power, right, as it gets closer to that moment of delivery. So I believe we're seeing the intensification of birth pains even today. So what will we see in growing intensity? Number one, to be honest, right, we'll see the growing attack on the sincere church. Notice I say sincere church because those who are insincere will be mentioned later. The growing attack on the sincere church, verse 5 begins with a description of an attack on the doctrine even of the church. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. There will be people in this world in leadership positions saying, just trust in me, I will be your deliverer. And I'm going to tell you the answer to The problem in this nation and the problems in this world will not come because somebody has an R or a D beside their name, right? There will not be a political leader that can be the deliverer of this nation. Our hope has to be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And one of the biggest problems that even evangelical conservatives have today is they've put so much hope in a political system that the Bible tells us will fail us. And our hope has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with this attack on what we believe and who we're putting our trust in. From the beginning, it's been that way. From the the first century, it's been that way. And it will be so in growing intensity. And when you say, my faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in a political system, not in the people around me, my hope is in Christ 
then you will be persecuted for that faith. It's coming. There will be an attack on your faith. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord has delivered me, yes, and all, verse 12 of chapter 2 and verse 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Thanks for the honesty, Paul. (laughs) I'm not being persecuted today. Well, then what does that mean? A plus B equals C. A equals C, right? If all, if Paul said all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and you're not being persecuted, according to the scriptures, you're not trying to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Because all who are seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he said, will be persecuted for their faith. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, some of those who are in leadership positions deceiving others, are themselves greatly deceived. The global political environment will become more and more turbulent in the last days. You are going, verse 6, to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. You say, well, we've heard of that every generation. You go back to the early church. You go back to the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, if you will. You go back to the Renaissance. You go back to uh, the, the days of Civil War and World War I and World War II. There's always been wars and rumors of wars, yet, but they're going to grow in intensity. This nation seems to have been at war longer than ever before. And many nations around the world today experiencing their own civil wars. And he says, these things must take place, but the end is not yet, right? There's a growing intensification here. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. You think it's bad now with the fact that you go into a grocery store and you're like, man, they can't keep stuff on the shelves. We haven't seen anything yet, according to what Scripture says. We haven't seen anything yet, Right? We were concerned early on in the pandemic. Man, I can't get to the grocery store. I get to the grocery store. I can't find toilet paper. What happens when you can't find food? These things will happen with growing intensification. Yes, there might be seasons of reprieve again and again and again, but we're told in Scripture that when the last days come, these things will continue to grow. They saw types of this, parallels to this in the first century, and throughout history you've seen it. And it's growing in its intensity through the years. And so in verse 7, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes in various places, national, are, are catastrophic natural disasters happening all around the world. And he says this is just the beginning of birth pains. This is just reminding us God is telling us what? He's telling us this is a sin-fallen world and that the curse of sin is on humanity, so we're not going to get along so great, but the curse of sin is even on the planet because Romans chapter 8 says the earth itself is groaning for the day of redemption. And, And so people are trying to save humanity by saving the planet because they realize whether they will call it sin or not, that the effects of a sin-fallen world leads to ultimately destruction of the very planet on which we live. Pandemics, compromise, environmental concerns, all of that just kind of give us a picture of the fact that we live in a sin-fallen world that is broken and starved for redemption. Verse 8, these are labor pains telling us the world is temporary. We're looking for something better. 
That's why the godless strategy to save the world, to save the planet, the, the people who are sitting around saying, hey, you know, by the, by the year uh, 2100 or 2150 or whatever, then there's just not going to be enough oxygen to breathe. That we're, this, this planet's not going to be sustainable. Global warming is going to take us out. You know, the, the people who preach and teach all this fear do not have faith that the Bible says God is in control of that day, that Jesus is the one who holds all things together and it'll be done when he's done with it. And it'll be made new when he's ready to create the new heaven and the new earth. And so our hope can't be in what this world has to offer. That's why the devil attacks beliefs first. If he can get us doubting what we believe, he can control our behavior. Beliefs shape behavior. And so with this great attack on the church, you've got to be sensitive. You've got to see it coming. You've got to be prepared for it. You've got to watch Listen, be very careful of what your children are taking in on television and and the internet and other sources. Study their curriculum with them and point out, hey, this goes against what we believe as Bible-believing Christians. Be very discerning about those things. And be careful about what even some preachers in their attempt to be politically correct, having been deceived themselves, will start saying, ah, you know, it's okay for a Christian to do this. It's okay for a Christian to do that. When Paul wrote, when Jesus wrote, that they were influenced by their own culture. Listen, Paul and Jesus and the other Bible writers were not influenced by their culture. They were influencing their culture. They were revolutionaries. They were changing the culture. They didn't care to cave in to the false ideologies of that day. And so he's warning, listen, there's going to be false teachers that come into the church even. They're going to bring this heresy into the church. They're instruments of the enemy. I read this week about a soldier who had secretly formed an an American soldier in the U.S. Army. Last name was Meltzer, I believe. He had formed an alliance with Al-Qaeda. He was leaking information to allow the enemy to isolate. Fortunately, he was found out, but he was tried to, he, he was part of a terrorist regime who had infiltrated our own military and was given away secrets to set up an ambush by terrorists, even on his own men. So eventually the devil's going to say, listen, I'm not just attacking from the outside. I'm trying to get people in the Christian army who will set the Christian army up, who will betray the Christian army. So be careful that what you're hearing people preach and teach comes right out of Scripture, not something they're trying to insert into the Word of God. There's going to be a great, this attack on the church in the last days, growing in intensification. It's certainly happening now. But secondly, this morning, I want you to see there will be the great apostasy of the insincere church. There's going to be attack on the church, but there's going to be apostasy of the insincere church. The sincere church is being attacked. The insincere church is becoming apostate. So verse 10 says, then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many will, as the King James says, fall away. Yes, 
Believers, according to 1 Peter 1.5, are kept by the power of God. But what about insincere, nominal Christians who claim to know Christ? When this attack comes, what's going to happen? This, this great apostasy will follow. Jesus predicted in Matthew chapter 13 that there's one day going to be this separation of the wheat and the tares. Peter says that the genuineness of your faith is going to be tested to see if you're truly part of the faith. 1 John 2.19 says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So the attack precedes apostasy because there are people that say, yeah, I want to be a part of the church, but socially that looks like a good thing to be a part of. Boy, it sure makes me feel good on the inside to know that somebody's looking after my spiritual needs and things like that. But there's not an authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and when attack comes their way, they'll be out of here. And so this intensification that we see of the birth pains, the, of the attack on the church, Jesus is even allowing that to happen to purify and to purge his church, to find out who means business, who's for real, who really has made Jesus Christ number one in their life and are ready to lock arms with their brothers and sisters in Christ and stand, come what may, in the world. They went out from us because they were not of us. This great falling away, this great apostasy revealing the true church because of the apostasy of the insincere church. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Then examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves to make sure that Christ is living in you. How does all this happen? How does it play out both in the last days and typologically in every generation? How does this happen? reveal itself in the life of the church? Well, according to verse 10, we see disunity, right? So they'll betray one another. There's disunity within the church. There's deception. Many will be deceived. But according to verse 11, there's also the depravity. So you see disunity in the church. And by the way, we're seeing that in denominations, even our own denomination which is interesting to watch sometimes. And listen, every now and then somebody pops up and you're like, man, somebody's trying to bring heresy into this denomination. But most of the time, most of the time, even among those in the denomination that we affiliate with, you have people that look like one group's way over here and the other's way over here. But those outside the faith, they look at us and they say, those folks are so close together, they don't even realize it. But we... we begin to have this disunity. We're attacking one another all of the time. Deception, people being tricked into believing things. False prophets, verse 11, rising up to deceive many. And depravity, verse 12, because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will wax cold, or grow cold. It's where people begin to say, wait a minute, if I commit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ, there are the pleasures of sin that I want to hold on to, the passing pleasures of sin that only last for a season. But they'll choose those pleasures of sin over the endurance of faith. Psalm 1 talks about this dividing between the righteous and the unrighteous as being like the chaff that the wind blows away. He says the 
you know, the, the righteous will stand in the judgment, but not the ungodly. They are like chaff. The, the picture there is taking the grain and throwing it in the air so that the wind can separate the chaff from the grain. As the farmer would take that chaff and, or take the wheat, and as he would pitch it into the air, that wheat that had substance would, would, would stay. It would remain. But the chaff would just be blown away. And so God is going to allow the winds of this world to separate the chaff from the grain. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, Jesus is described that way, right? He's, he's got the winnowing fork and he's separating the, the chaff from the wheat. And so this great apostasy is going to reveal the insincere church in the last days. So you have an attack on the sincere church, right? You have this apostasy of the insincere church. Pastor, we could use some good news today, right? We, this all sounds discouraging. You're just telling me, man, the, the planet I'm living on is going to get worse. The people I live around, they're going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. I've got good news for you this morning. Here's the promise also, and it's the glorious advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The mission, I keep saying this, no matter what the times we live in reveal to us, I keep saying our mission has not and will not change until Christ calls us home. That mission hasn't changed. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this good news, verse 14, of the kingdom will be proclaimed. It will be proclaimed. We can worry about, is anybody still going to stand on the gospel? Somebody will. The question is, are you going to get in on the mission or not? Don't miss out. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So we are, whether you are a first century Christian or whether you are a Christian who was living in the dark ages, the middle ages, if you were a Christian living during the Renaissance and the Reformation, if you're a Christian living when Jesus returns or right here in 2021, we can see a growing intensification of the glorious advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am sometimes a pessimist when it comes to looking at this world through the lens of reality, but I am an optimist when it comes to keeping my eyes on the kingdom. I am confident Jesus wins in the end, and I am confident that he's not finished with his church or he would have called us home by now. Talking about those typological parallels, Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2 that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, that generations of sons and daughters would be proclaiming God's truth that old men would dream dreams, young men would see visions. That was paralleled at Pentecost in the first church, but with growing intensity, we'll see in the scriptures because Joel, if you go back and read Joel chapter two, he's talking about the consummation of the ages. He's talking about the last days, not just Pentecost. He's talking about the days before Christ's return. There's gonna be a glorious pouring out of God's spirit on all flesh, a dual fulfillment, if you will. Yes, at Pentecost, yes, in the early church, yes, in the church of all ages, but before the coming of Christ, like never before, there's going to be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. The gospel is going to be preached in all the world. Yes, there's a growing attack. <laughs> yes, there's a great apostasy. 
But the good news is there's going to be, I believe, an awakening like we have yet to see. The question is, will you endure the attack? Will you be sincere so you're not part of the great apostasy? And then as a result, and I pray this for me and for you and for this church, that we are part of that one more great awakening before the Lord Jesus comes. You know, in the midst of the craziness with growing pandemics and disasters and all that, sometimes businesses will begin to close, right? People will begin looking for jobs. and We talk about stores closing and, and things like that. It just kind of drives you crazy. But sometimes there's somebody who discovers, you know, that, that, that store that stayed open, boy, they had business like never before. The one that could say, man, we, we're going to endure this. We're going to stick with it. The, the ones that kind of survived the difficult times, they end up just seeming like, man, they, they were blessed like never before. And in the same way, I believe the church that will say, listen, we're going to keep our doors open. We're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. We're going to be faithful to God, come what may, despite the attack, despite the apostasy. We're still going to be on mission. We're not going to compromise the word of God, and we're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations, to our neighbors, to the next generation. We're going to keep the word of God in the face of the people as much as we possibly can. Those churches will experience, I believe, blessing like never before in the last days, this pouring out of God's spirit on all flesh. I pray that we get in on that. You say, boy, the church sure has been dying. We're so Western in our thinking. Yes, in Western Europe and in this nation, the church has been dying. Think about this. A hundred years ago, there were less than 10 million Christians in Africa. Today, there's over 400 million. Ten years ago, in Asia, the gospel was unheard of. Now the underground church is more on fire than ever. And you go to nations like Korea, 70% of that nation claims to be a Christian. And they're more bold with their faith than we ever think about being here in the States. The underground church in China, places like that, it's crazy how the gospel, where it's trying to be stamped out, is spreading in South America, there's revival after revival after, after revival. I pray that we get on that here. What if God says, okay, you want to be a part of it? Endure the attack. Resist the apostasy. And take my hand in the awakening. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it started right here at Trinity? If God just did a, a mighty move in us. Oh, we've, we've seen him at work, right? We've seen him at work. We've seen people coming to faith in Christ, but we hadn't scratched the surface of awakening. And I want to challenge you, whatever age you are, make a commitment today to not miss out on that. Examine your own faith. Some of, it, some of our young people here, our students, middle schoolers, high school students that are gathering here, let me just encourage you with some news. Almost every great awakening history has seen, God did through young people, through teenagers and college students who said, we're not gonna settle for what our parents and our grandparents settled for. We wanna see a mighty move of God. You're not the, listen, if you're a teenager or a college student, you're not the fringe in the life of this church. 
you might be the ones that usher in through your prayers, through your commitment, a great awakening. I pray that as you leave this worship and go to life group, Pastor Zach, I pray they'll talk about that, about how God can use them to be an example. What did Paul tell Timothy? Don't let people look down on you because you are young. You be the example to the believers. I'm hungry for that awakening, are you? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you that you're not finished with us. And it will be abundantly clear when you are. Lord, help us to get honest with where we are. Are we ready for the attack on our faith? Are we ready to resist this apostasy that's taking place in the days in which we live? Are we hungry for an awakening? Lord, use me, use my family, use this church, use every member, young and old, as we pray and seek your face. That Trinity might be a church that's committed to allowing you to use us to bring an awakening to this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you as we stand to sing this song of invitation.